another indication I feel potentially brilliant. He's, this is the philosophy and psychology of yoga. And he is a superb, brilliant philosopher and also an extraordinarily compassion, compassionate and insightful psychologist. He just told us the five types of thought forms. He presented the essential philosophy, yoga chitta vritti nirodha. Do you need something, Ramana? No, it's okay. You sure? Come yeah, in. Get whatever you need. No, no, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Then he spelled it out for us, telling us the different types of thoughts. The next logical step is how to control the thoughts. And this is when he presents his basic psychology. I'd say Sutra 2, Book 1, is the most important sutra in the book. This is the second most important sutra in the book. Abhyasa Varagyavim Pranirodaha. Abhyasa means practice, vairagya, non-attachment. Vairagya comes from a word, vai, raga. Raga refers to color, without color. We want the mind to be free of color. Every vritti brings a color to the mind. So the mind colorless. The philosophy and the psychology are linked through what you can call the technology, Narodaha. Yogaha Chitta Vritti Narodaha, Sutra 2. Abhyasa Vairagyavyam Pan Narodaha. The one word that appears in both, Narodaha. What we have here is the psychology reflecting and supporting the philosophy. What we have here is by working within the individual, we have a pathway to experience the highest truth the philosophy points to, because the philosophy and the psychology are intricately linked. The individual is the microcosm. The universe is the macrocosm. The same laws and principles that apply in the universe at large apply within us. We work within us to learn how to master those universal forces as they express within us. They're expressing in the universe at large. When we know how to master them within us, it's the same as mastering them everywhere. It's like scientists who want to learn about water, seawater. It's impossible to take the ocean and bring it into their laboratory. So they get a beaker and they fill it with seawater. They do experiments and they, they conclude this is the nature of seawater and how it functions. We are like a little beaker of the cosmos. We work within our ourselves, learn how the different forces and principles apply, gain mastery of that, and the same is true in the universe at large. That's the way this is set up.
us an elegant system, the way everything is tied together. He gives the goal of yoga and the means to attain it in four words. Elegant, simple, profound, pristine. And then he ties the psychological method directly to the philosophical attainment. Make sense? So there are two principles involved, practice and non-attachment. He gives a two-sided approach. Simply put, practice consists of all the positive things you do that will take you to your goal, all the soaps that you use for the varying culture, uh, koshas, okay? Mm -hmm. But that isn't enough. If you do all the cleaning and at the same time continue with all the habits and behaviors that cause the problems and the toxins in the first place, it's like you're working at cross purposes to yourself. You know what a Chinese handcuff is like? Mm. You put your mm -hmm. fingers in, mm -hmm. you try to pull in opposite directions. Do you make any progress? It gets tighter, I think. It gets tighter. Yeah. So you don't really make progress. It's like someone who does a long fast and then celebrates at the end with a big feast. I read about a man who died that way. He did a long fast and then he celebrated with a steak dinner. His body was like a refined gentle instrument and he clobbered it with the steak and his system couldn't handle it. So both are needed. Practice without non-attachment is like rowing a boat without pulling up your anchor. There are still things holding you back. You're rowing away, doing a lot of practice, but you're not making good progress you're not lifting your anchor. On the other hand, non-attachment without practice is like a boat without a rudder. You can't just stop doing. What we want ultimately is that total non-attachment because the mind will be calm and clear, but mm -hmm. to get there we need practice. Otherwise the mind is like a devil's workshop. If you say just stop, stop your attachments, it's, it's well nigh impossible. It's more a substitution method, as we've mentioned several times. You substitute good things, you take hold, you attach yourself to good things, like your practices, a healthy diet, good relationships, to enable you to release the negatives in your life. And then when everything's good, and your system gets really clean and pure, all this will just drop away. You'll be independent, like the Niralambaya Tejase, the Om Namah Shivaya chant, self-effulgent, independent, free, free. So, there was once a man who had two wives, a young wife and an old wife. The young wife wanted him to be young, so whenever they were in intimate embrace, she would lean over and pluck out all his gray hairs. The old wife wanted him to be old. So when they were together, she would lean over and pluck out all his black hairs. <laughs> Pretty soon, he was bald. 
that's what it's like when you try to go in two different directions at the same time. So we don't want to be spiritually bald. We want to be spiritually <laughs> fluffy. <laughs> so you need practice and not attachment. Another good example to let you know how they work together. Let's say you go to the doctor because your body is covered with hives. You're having a huge outbreak. Itching all over. If he's a good doctor, he'll do two things. What will he do? Find a cause. Find the cause and tell you what to do with respect to the cause. Avoid it. Avoid it. And what else will he do? What will he give you for the hives? Prescription. A prescription, an ointment. So, you come with a problem, he gives you an ointment to apply. That's like practice. But he also says, you're allergic to strawberries. You have to detach from them, stay away from them. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how much ointment you put on, you're going to keep getting hives. Mm -hmm. That's simply put how the two work together. Okay? So all the positive things that you do constitutes practice. Because these concepts are so important, Patanjali gives us two sutras to explain practice, two to explain non-attachment. First sutra on practice, sutra 13, he defines practice. Someone want to read it? Read the bowl of English. Whoever gets there first, <laughs> one thirteen. I I got it. Okay. Uh, one thirteen. Of these two, effort towards steadiness of mind is practice. Okay. Again. Of these two, effort towards steadiness of mind is practice. Okay. Do you know what the most important word in that is? Steadiness. <coughs> Steadiness is important. Effort. 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 Practice effort. is effort. effort. Any practice. You want to learn how to play the piano. You want to learn how to ride a bicycle. It's effort. And spiritual practice has the aim of making the mind steady. And if the mind isn't clean, it can't be steady. So with respect to practice, main practices for the body and the mind is meditation, prayer, <coughs> study, self-inquiry for the mind, for the body, hatha yoga, deep relaxation, pranayama, good diet, good exercise. And with practice, a little every day is better than a lot once in a while. Regularity, consistency. You're literally building new grooves in the brain. You want to every day make that pathway. Make it a habit. We were talking about when the path gets dry, it's habit that can carry 
carry you through those difficult times. Okay. Practice means discipline. And again, we have to reframe our attitude toward discipline. The important thing, educate the mind as to the benefits and the reasons you want to do it. If the mind is convinced, it will support your efforts. If it's not convinced, it will bite you and try to sabotage your efforts. And the mind can be very clever. Coming up with excuses why you shouldn't do something. There's a story about Ramdas. Baba Ramdas, early on, when he was practicing, he was practicing Buddhism at the time. So he went on a retreat, and they were meditating many, many, many hours a day. He was a new practitioner. He wasn't used to it. So after a day or two, he started developing a toothache. So every day you had a meeting with the Roshi. He went to see the Roshi. He said, Roshi, I'm getting a bad toothache. I think maybe I should go have it checked. And the Roshi said, Ram Das, meditate. The next night, toothache began to throb. He went to the Roshi the next morning. It's getting worse, Roshi. Roshi looked at him and said, Ram Das, meditate. That night, it began to swell. The following morning, he went to the Roshi. Roshi, look, it's swelling. Ram Das, meditate. Next night, swelled even more, turned red, throbbing. He goes to the Roshi the next day and goes, Roshi, it's not good to ignore the body. The body is the vehicle that we need to keep healthy, to realize the truth. I should go take care of my tooth. That is the most important thing now. So the Roshi said, okay, bye Ram Das. Do you know what happened shortly after he left the retreat compound? You know what happened to the toothache? Oh, I'm <laughs> gone. <laughs> Throbbing no more, swelling went down. His pride wouldn't let him withdraw, so the body came to his rescue <laughs> and sabotaged the practice. And we all have that cunning, creative mind. The mind is ingenious in making up excuses. It's ingenious. As clever as you think you are, the lower mind is just as clever. It's just as clever. So you have to convince your mind. And I gave you a sample practice plan. I don't know if we'll have time to figure it out at the end of that handout. Where you set for yourself times that you're daily going to do your practice. 
how much you're forgiven. And you determine what's reasonable for you. And once you make that determination, make a commitment to stick to it. It makes all the difference in the world. They even have on it, you sign it. It's like you make a contract with yourself. Good to set a time pe period, at least a month. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. I'm time period, thinking. then your goals. I'm saying it's good to set a time period, at least a month. Mm -hmm. Then just look at your life, your capacity, your interest. Set goals like meditation. It's good to do it twice a day if you can. First thing when you get up, last thing before you retire, are good times, or at the junctures of the day, before dawn, between 4 and 6 a.m., at noon, at dusk, sattva, the peaceful energy prevails at that time, it's conducive to meditation. So good to have two sittings a day. Minimum 15 minutes a, set a sitting, best if you can have at least a half hour. And also important is your routine. Gurudev used to say, well prepared is half done. A meditation routine brings the mind in, up, and focused systematically. It begins with asana sitting properly to enhance the energy flow. If the body is not comfortable and erect, that flow of energy will be dissipated or blocked. Then some chants or prayers, whatever works for you. But don't keep changing. Decide on what you're going to do. Something that will make you feel connected to source, however you conceive that to be, and protected. Sometimes unusual experiences happen in meditation, and if at the outset you establish this connection, protection, you'll be able to sit and not get thrown by anxiety when something happens. People say, I want to transcend the body and mind. And so many people, when you really start to transcend, they get frightened. Mm -hmm. So having this setting in which you're doing it helps to ground you in, in feeling safe in your practice. After the prayers and chants, 
pranayama. This preparation puts the mind and the breath go together. Three to five rounds of rapid breathing to energize and in the morning awaken the mind, followed by five to ten minutes of alternate breathing to focus and balance the energy. There may be some more prayers. When you do your alternate breathing, you can do a Pratipaksha Bhavana visualization. Then right before the silent practice of your technique, if you wish, you can make a positive affirmation, as we discussed yesterday, to support the Pratipaksha Bhavana that you're doing. And then you focus on your technique. Okay? If distractions come, just bring your focus back. Whenever you notice the mind drifts, bring your awareness back. At the end of your meditation, you don't get up suddenly. You've established a very pure, powerful vibration. The way we began by drawing the mind in and up, closing gently brings it out to engage in life. So it's sort of a symmetrical pattern. You go like this and then you go like that. So it's like an hourglass shape. At the end of meditation, it's the best time to do prayers for healing, for peace, for yourself, for others, for the world. By so doing, you offer the benefits of your attainments for the well-being of everyone. So even your personal practice isn't selfish. It's karma yoga. It's an offering. And also, it gives you time to transition, for the vibration to settle into your system to prepare you for life. So it's best to start the day with meditation, because the first thing you do in the morning makes a deep impression on the mind. Mm -hmm. And if you delay the meditation, I know many people like to start with asana first. It's not that it's bad, but one of the problems is if you delay the meditation, the likelihood increases that life will sort of rush in. The phone will start ringing, the doorbell, the kids will be jumping on your bed or whatever, and you won't be able to do it. You'll lose those few precious moments. If you think you don't have time, because I know everyone's life is so busy, I'll share a quote from a great Catholic saint, St. Francis de Sales. He used to say, a half-hour meditation every day is essential, unless you're busy. Excuse me. The cacao. <laughs> Never had that before. Cocoa? Chocolate? That, that time. The, the beans. I can feel it in my throat. Unless you're busy, in that case, a full hour is needed. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're busy, you tend to get scattered. Right. And you need more focus, and then you can take care of more things. Right. So a half hour is essential unless you're busy, <laughs> then you need an hour. <laughs> I can imagine him telling this to people, and they're all going, he understands. If I'm busy, I don't have to right. do it. 
then he goes, then you need a full hour. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking half an hour sitting practice aside from pranayama. Or is well, this including no. everything? The more time you can devote, the better. But I say, if you do a half hour, you'll have at least 15 minutes of silent sitting. Right. You, want, you want to have right. that. So your preparation and your closing can be within that time frame. If you have more time, the more the better. But minimally, half hour, twice a day. Okay? And then followed by your asana. And as I said the other day, don't skip a little deep relaxation, pranayama, meditation at the end. Don't forsake pranayama in order to do more asana. Always finish with some rapid breathing to burn up the toxins you've released, and a little alternate breathing to balance the energy. And you can do your Pratipaksha Bhavana with the alternate breathing again at that time. So you're saying we should start with pranayama meditation, do an asana practice, and then do more of it after our asana practice? Exactly. So the routine is, and again, it's symmetrical. It's pranayama, meditation, asana, pranayama, meditation. But the pranayama and meditation following the asana is usually shorter mm -hmm. than the preparation for the meditation. It might just be a couple of minutes of meditation at the end, mm -hmm. though often you feel like you want to sit more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but usually life demands your attention in other ways. Okay? So here's what you do. You set your goals. Again, it's something you're setting, you're selecting. Then I discussed briefly consequences. Consequence is something else good you're going to do if you fail to do the good thing you said you were going to do. So let's say I'm gonna, my goal is to meditate for a half hour twice during the day. I blow it, I don't do it. So my consequence is before I go to sleep, I have to do five minutes of alternate nostril breathing. That's an example. <coughs> or my consequence is the next day I'm going to skip breakfast. Or my consequence is the next day I'm not going to eat something. You know, something mm -hmm. like that. Or my consequence is I skipped my asana practice. I didn't get it in, so I'm going to have 10 minutes more of meditation before I go to sleep at night. You just or I'm going to do more service. My consequence is it's not my night to do the dishes in my home, but I will do the dishes. That way, you're asserting your mastery over your mind. Your mind is learning the lesson. It can't pull one over on you. It can't evade or avoid what you're telling it to do. It's just a gentle way to assert your mastery. And we're not asking you to be a harsh taskmaster. Mm -hmm. Master, no one wants that. It's like training a puppy. If you want to train a puppy, you need to be loving, gentle, intelligent, but firm. That's what. And we're training a drunken monkey. <laughs> bitten by a scorpion. <laughs> right? So... You need to be smarter than the monkey. <laughs> then accountability and support. 
he spoke about spiritual diary or buddy system of one form or another. You might have a spiritual teacher, a mentor, a buddy. You can do lunch once every two weeks and compare your spiritual progress or a phone call or an email. Somehow when you have to check in with someone, mm -hmm. it holds you accountable because you're using your own pride mm -hmm. in a good way. You don't want to check in and say, I didn't do anything this week. Right. <laughs> I blow it. Yeah, or you get it done before you meet up with that person. That's what. <laughs> <one. laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, then a statement of commitment. You write what you feel, feel in your heart, why you're doing this, and you sign it and date it. You're making a contract with your own higher self to pursue your highest good. And it might seem, you know, silly. You're just writing it down. But as we said the other day, writing it down has a way of making it real. Mm -hmm. It makes it real. And it's helpful. It's really helpful. I know Buddha Dev, when we take pre-sannyas, first step in becoming monks, the advice he would give us, he'd say, <clears throat> right now, your mind is very clear about why you're doing what you're doing. But the mind is like the weather. As we've said, clouds will come, you'll forget. Mm -hmm. So he said, now when it's crystal clear, when the sun, the light is shining brightly, sit down and write for yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Write your commitment. And then read it every day to remind yourself. Mm -hmm. That way, it remains clear in your mind. Otherwise, the clouds of forgetfulness eclipse, eclipse the light of our understanding. It happens to all of us. Okay? So practice. Second sutra about practice, Sutra 14, is one of Buddha Dev's favorite sutras. Someone read it. Practice becomes firmly grounded when well attended to for a long time, without break and in all earnestness. Practice becomes firmly grounded when well attended to for a long time, without break and in all earnestness. Okay, there are three qualifications for your practice to go deep. Number one, long time. What is the first question everyone asks? How long, How long is, is this going to take? <laughs> the very fact that we're asking that question means it hasn't been long enough yet. <laughs> right. One way to understand it, think of cleaning your system like cleaning a big room. There are two, two factors that determine how quickly you'll clean your room. What would they be? How dirty it is. How dirty it is. 
good you are at cleaning. How much effort? As far as yeah. How much effort, how good you are at cleaning. And of the two, which do you think is more important? Your effort. Your effort. Mm -hmm. That's why. What this means is even someone who's made a big mess, mm -hmm. who's made a lot of mistakes, who's very toxic, physically and mentally, if they decide they're really going to do the work, they will clean it all up and reach the goal quicker than someone who was too lazy to make a big mess and too lazy to clean the little mess they did make. Mm -hmm. That's why. So what this says to all of us is no one should feel discouraged or disqualified, thinking, I've really made a lot of mistakes, mm -hmm. and I'm not worthy of attaining all this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The question is, do you want it? And are you willing to do what's necessary to attain it? That's the question. of the dirty room, then the harder you work, the less time you'll take, too. Exactly. 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 Yeah, you have some secrets here. Can you repeat that? I was just thinking about cleaning a room. Right. And so the harder you work, the less time. Says that. So the harder oh, you practice, oh, oh, the less yeah, time, yeah, a long job. time. Right, you right. You look at, come on, look at Sutra 22 in Book 1. 21 and 22. Okay. To the keen and intent practitioner, this samadhi comes very quickly. Mm. The time necessary for success further depends on whether the practice is mild, medium, or intense. Mm. Guess what? Mm. Says it right there. Right. So a long time. And what's the next <laughs> qualification? Regular. Without break. Without, Without break. break. And this could be understood on two levels. Anyone ever train a puppy? How to train a puppy? Okay, so you have a little puppy. And let's say you're a very busy person. So you say, I can house train this puppy for an hour on Monday and Wednesday. And I'm off on Sunday, so two hours on Sunday. When will that puppy be trained? Maybe never. Maybe never. Probably Maybe never. Okay. What if you, so you have to do it every day. And also, you have to do it throughout the day, right? Without you can't break. simply say, I'll train him Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's not going to happen. And you can't say, well, I'll train him every day, but I only got an hour to devote to that. It's not going to happen. So this is where the really the art 
of spiritual life comes in. You need a regular practice, formal sitting every day. These are like training sessions. But even if you practice, let's say, two full hours a day, and you don't practice the rest of the day, but you forget about it altogether, how many hours are spent in forgetfulness? 22. Okay, it's just arithmetic. Two hours practice, 22 hours forgetfulness. Which force is going to predominate mm -hmm. in your life? It's 11 to 1. Mm -hmm. Letting the mind run amok mm -hmm. is in the lead. So, the art of spiritual life is not leaving your meditation on the cushion. It's not leaving your asana practice on the mat. It's finding ways to bring that focus, balance, ease, grace, skill, patience, all the lessons you learn. When you do your asana practice, all that you're trying to perfect in your meditation, bringing that, let that inform every moment of your life. And there are different ways to do that. You tell me, what are some ways to bring that meditation or that practice into your daily life? What can you do? Just be mindful, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. Focus just on that one thing. Mm -hmm. It helps with dharana or concentration. Yeah, absolutely. Connect with your breathing. Connect with mm. your breathing. That's another way. What else? I often think of the yamas and the niyamas uh -huh. at the start of the day, and I try mm -hmm. and sprinkle them when I'm just not doing anything. Just say, okay, think of a yama, mm -hmm. just to kind of keep that in mind when mm -hmm. it's in the front of mm -hmm. me. I think. Mm -hmm. Or, to really focus it, you can pick one at the beginning of the day and say, this one's going to be my compass for the whole day. Okay. That way, you, you lock the mind down a little bit more. Okay. Uh, sometimes I have post-it notes yeah. in drawers and then you open yeah. and then see it, read it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a little bit Remind me, I wonder if it's still here. At the bottom of the staircase here, the mm -hmm. piece of wood comes up, mm -hmm. and we used to have a paper that someone put in there, because it would sometimes just come up as you sort of pulled on it. That the one said, over here? Yeah, downstairs oh. at the end, uh -huh. and it said, are you saying your mantra? <laughs> uh, oh. I wonder if it's still there. No, that note is there, but there's all kinds of little treasures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth a peek. <laughs> so what other ways can we bring practice into daily life? Service. Yoga. Remembrance. I'm thinking about the remembrance. You were saying yesterday how that's so important. Just things that help us remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, hmm? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what you said, surface. I'm doing good deeds to others. Mm-hmm. You know, um, simple things like opening the door to someone and just mm-hmm. smiling. Mm-hmm. What are some of the lessons you learn on the Hatha mat? What do you learn when you do your Not to push, not to strain yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. To focus more inward and not at what the person on the mat next to you is doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Strength. Strength. Mm -hmm. Be flexible. Flexibility. you learn on the Hatha mat and make that the compass throughout the day. When to stretch your limits, when to respect your limits, the balance between the desertion and relaxation, grace and poise, balance in action. These are great lessons. Great lessons. If you're devotional, try to see the divine hand, the universal plan in everything that unfolds. Have that vision. Or, that's too big, try to see the divine in maybe one person. And if you really want to make it interesting, this is something I did for a while. It's a very interesting exercise. Try to see the divine in the person who pushes all of your buttons. <laughs> Does everyone have at least one person like yeah. that in their lives? Yeah. Because they are. They are the universe communicating something you need to learn. And the thing is, the way you look at someone, what you see when you look, that's what you evoke from them. So you try to see the divine in them, you'll evoke that part of them that will transform the relationship. And it's a great exercise in knowing how to control your own mind. Mm -hmm. You're ready to go like that. Instead, you move into the mode, what is the universe trying to teach me now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. It's hard. None of this is easy. How does one do that? I mean, it's like, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, I'm going through it right now with Trump. I mean, I mean, some of the things that comes out of his mouth is horrific. And how do you see like see the divine? Specifically? Wow. Yes, you. Wow. Everyone thinks they're right. Mm-hmm. Even Hitler thought he was right. Mm-hmm. So no one ever thinks they're a bad person. Sometimes you're just skewed. Mm-hmm. Also, your opinion of that person could be completely wrong, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So who says that your opinion of them is totally right? True, that's good. He didn't always used to be this way. He was born kind of not quite so Trumpian. Mm-hmm. Trumpian. And he lost his way. <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll go back to being unlike that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, after a few 
thousand lives. You know what I'd like to say? The world goes through different stages, and it's like a factory. We come in as unevolved, we go through refining processes, and eventually we become finished models and we leave the factory. And then more come in and they're refined and all that. The world is like a big stage with the forces of good and evil. Do their, do their drama. Do you read the Bhagavad Gita? Even back then in ancient times, forces of good and evil are in opposition. So the world is the world. I'd say one of the differences today is that there's so much power at our disposal yes. that so much more seems at risk. But I'll say this too, since we spoke a lot about karma. There's a reason each one of us has taken incarnation at this time. The experience, the turmoil, the lessons that are unfolding are what our souls need to continue on our evolutionary journey. Sometimes during Kali Yuga, which this can be described as the world goes through different stages of the dark era, this Kali Yuga, they say souls close to enlightenment want to be born during Kali Yuga because Circumstances are so difficult. Our capacity is so diminished that less is required of us to pass that finish line. Mm. It's like we have less capacity. So if you know, like in college, sometimes when the students all do poorly, the teacher lowers, lowers the curve. <laughs> it's sort of like in Kali Yuga. God doesn't want to be embarrassed, so he or she lowers the curve. <laughs> So we can get through. So there's no accident mm. that we are witness and participants to what is happening now. And in a bigger picture, beyond our limited vision, somehow this is contributing to our soul's growth mm. and evolution. Mm. And it's a hard, it's a hard time at the ashram. We're fighting a major pipeline coming a mile from Lotus with this biggest, I think, compressor station maybe that was ever built five miles away. And all the efforts of local groups have delayed it now a year, but there's, it's a big struggle. And why is this happening? Somehow, it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a limit to how much we can ask why. At a certain point, we just have to say it is. Mm -hmm. So, how to come into right relationship with it so we can keep our peace? How can you distinguish between learning how to cope with things in your life and when the universe is telling you to evacuate that portion of your life. What do you mean by evacuate? 
for instance, I have this shift at my work where I cook for everybody, and sometimes I feel like I'm picking up after 200 really messy roommates refuse to pick up after themselves, and it mm-hmm. absolutely drives me crazy. And mm-hmm. I feel like every day I go in there, and I'm, like, boiling with anger because I'm so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so part of me is like, this is what you're supposed to be learning, and be calm and serve people, and then part of me is just like, F this, I'm so over all of these people, I need to jump ship because I'm not your mother. Well, what about another tack? Are these the same people that come every day? Pretty much. Is it possible to meet with everyone and have a discussion about it? I mean, you would think so, because I work in a co-op, but... That's what. Why don't we... I mean, it's there are, there are different ways to go. It's not just all in or all out. We have a problem here, folks. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it so it works for all of us. This isn't working for me, and people aren't taking personal responsibility. Many hands make light work. Mm-hmm. You have a meeting. You ask for a meeting. And without anger, this is the thing, if you come with anger, Everyone has their defenses up, mm-hmm. and you're the problem. If you come from a place of balance and say, we have a problem, mm-hmm. this is not working for me, can we find a way to work together? It's worth a try if you feel that's doable in this mm-hmm. situation. It isn't always black or white. Right. Right. I guess sometimes I just get clouded with that idea of like, in any circumstance, maybe the universe is telling you it's time to move on. So how much of it is just like, just stay here and keep your peace. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm just going to stay here and like, oh, middle way. And then you're just kind of like, ignoring the universe speaking to you in a sense. Again. I would say when the universe really wants you to move on, it's beyond your control. You're like ejected out of the situation, (laughs) beyond your control. And another thing is, another test stick is, have you done everything possible in this situation to rectify it before you abandon ship? That's what, have you done your part? Otherwise, mm-hmm. what will happen is if this is a lesson you need to learn, you will let it. You just get it again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the karma follows you. Yeah, so his karma is not complete. In Correct. The, is that right? Okay. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. So you do your best. You do your best. And so you're saying that if his karma is complete, it would just kind of not follow you. Would the problem it. will resolve, uh-huh. or he will be moved into something else. I, when I lived at our ashram up in Ziegler Springs in Lake County, we didn't have any money and we had this tremendous sewage problem. So everyone who had any capacity was asked to go out into the community and get a job. I was one of the few people that was hireable at that time. <laughs> so I, get a, I got a job as the office manager of the Clear Lake Observer county newspaper. So I would go every day, and you know, uh, in my early 20s, so I think I, I came <coughs> to be a yogi, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life as the office manager of the Clear Lake Observatory. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's come, that's what I thought. Uh-huh. It was, this was going to go on forever, because you know, when you're young, everything right. is forever. Right. Right. One day, I went to work, 
And all of a sudden, I looked around, and then I looked up. I came in early. I opened the office, and I looked around, and I said, God, I get it. I understand why I was brought here. I understand the lessons I was supposed to learn in this office. And I just want you to know, I get it. I get the lessons. I've learned them. If you want me to stay here longer, that's up to you. But I want you to know, I got it. I went home that very day, and out of the blue, the person who was in charge of the ashram asked to speak to me, and he said, we want you to quit your job. Wow. <laughs> that very day. Nature is so mm. efficient. She's mm. like a big mm. mama cleaning us mm. all up, mm. educating us. She doesn't waste any time. Mm. When we're through in one classroom, we're moved to another mm. classroom. It's, there's no time lag. It's tremendously efficient. So, generally, yeah. And so then, do you just start to rely on um, the pieces moving to move you? Or where does, like, I hate the word free choice come into that, but, like, is it emotion? Like, oh, I'm having this emotion come over me and drawing me to X, and that's the universe telling me to go try X. It's not... I would say not e don't go to the level of emotion. That's your manamaya kosha. Go to the level of conscience. Does your conscience tell you you've done everything you could to rectify this situation? I guess now I'm just moved on to like moving, or this is all my own experience now. Okay. But like, do I give up my apartment? Do I hold on to my apartment? Am I holding on out of fear? Am I holding on out of this? Where does the idea of free choice come next? When things aren't moving you in that per se, because you like consciously, and it comes yeah. down to like, where do I want to be? And then it's like, yeah. well, there can be personal self evaluation, analysis, pros and cons. What are the good reasons to leave? What are the cons for leaving? What's really going on under the surface that's motivating you? Self reflection analysis, and then you're free to make any choice. You don't have to be like a victim. None of us has to be like a victim of life and circumstance. We're even free to go and make new mistakes to learn lessons. We're free to jump ship and see the consequences of doing that, but do it with awareness. Don't, don't be driven by emotion, I would say that. That's not a good decision maker. <laughs> Emo emotional reaction is not a good decision maker. Use your awareness, use analysis, rely on your conscience, and make a choice. And do it bravely, do it courageously, and then learn from the experience. Does the universe ever make it difficult and throw obstacles? I've had experiences and I was just thinking about, well, you might not find another place to move to, and maybe is that the universe possibly saying this was a wrong decision to try and move at this time? Mm -hmm. I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you deal with the consequences? And you deal with the consequences. You don't move. In other words, don't be afraid of life. Mm -hmm. Don't make this something... We shouldn't feel... Being surrendered to the divine plan is not the same as being a victim. Right. 
Surrender to divine plans means that you feel the divine power backing you as you move through life. Right. You're really surrendered. You're nobody's victim. Right. You're an instrument of the divine, and you have trust in its, its plan, its goodness, its higher purpose. But you still have the freedom to act. But what I would recommend again, don't react. That's the difference. Act. Don't react. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Respond. Don't react. Reaction is emotional knee-jerk. Old habits engaging. Mm -hmm. Move into another mode. Develop the booty, the discriminating capacity. Analyze. Question. Weigh it on your conscience. Have I done my part? What's really going on here? Am I trying to avoid facing something? Or is it really time to move on? And once you make your decision, don't look back. Go boldly ahead and learn from the experience. Even if it's a mistake, learn from the experience. It's worse sitting on the fence and feeling miserable. Okay. Does that make sense yeah. to everyone? Yeah. But you did, you did mention about the, um, emo um, the emotions. Yeah. Don't act on the emotions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, never make a business decision. decision. <laughs> on the emotional level. Yeah. That, never make any major important decision when you're overcome with emotion. Or on an empty stomach. Or on an empty stomach. Never go to a grocery store on an empty stomach. It's all the junk food. It's true. First thing you can put in your mouth. My impression has been that when I make a commitment, almost any commitment, that's when I get like these kind of pokes from the universe. And I... I honestly believe like that the universe, when I make a big decision, the universe just constantly checks in with me and it's like, are you sure? Are you sure you are you sure you want to put sugar? Because here's a cupcake. <laughs> you know, and I can like say, Yeah, you're right, that was a bad idea. <laughs> or I can say, Look, no, I'm sure. I'm gonna keep going. But that's when I get that's when I most notice anyway, like the obstacles. Like I just think of them as the universe giving me a chance to double check. <laughs> my decision. Yeah. Like, am I sure? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's been my experience. Yeah, it's good. It's I've really had that happen a bunch of times. Yeah. I'd make a commitment in the morning, writing down something. I'm going to practice this today, and then an hour later, the very thing. <laughs> yeah. Someone's like bought yeah. lunch or yeah. Yeah. Paper. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Exactly. Yeah, if you're aware of it, it's like you kind of can see it. Yeah, yeah. you can. You can see it coming almost. Yeah, you, see, you just expect it. <laughs> almost. Yeah. So as soon as you make a real commitment, something notices. Things test yeah. and a test comes. Mm. Yeah. And then very often, you know, you say, oh, well, this is just coming now. I can start the commitment tomorrow. Don't know. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like the answers yeah. do come. Um, I was at a workshop once. It's like they, they said that when like you focus your energy, like you say, okay, I bought a red Volkswagen. All of a sudden, you start seeing the white, the red Volkswagen, and the red Volkswagen was always there. Mm -hmm. But then you start seeing the Volkswagen. Yeah. So it's just how 
Once you make a decision, yeah. the universe comes yeah. and shows you specifically. <laughs> but it's always been there. The answers has always been there. That's the interesting part. Because the, the red Volkswagen was always there. But your focus was The focus, there. Yeah. yeah. And the answer comes. Okay, practice long time without break in all earnestness. This means you're trying to focus your mind. If you don't have that enthusiasm behind it, it's going to be hard to do. It will easily get distracted. Mm -hmm. Commitment means commitment to the goal, but it also means commitment to the process. And who would we be committed to the goal? changes your relationship to your practice. It's just like commitment in a relationship. What happens when two people make a commitment? Does the relationship change? Mm -hmm. How does it change? What does it mean when you make a commitment to someone? You have to work things out if you disagree. You can't just mm -hmm. go out the door and say, bye-bye. Sometimes what happens is like sometimes the I guess the drama comes in mm -hmm. and the craziness comes in. Yeah. You know, and then it like says, Okay, are you committed? Yeah. You know, it's like are you really it's like you're saying the test. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like and then you and then you actually see the reflection of yourself in that yeah. commitment oh, with yeah. that person. You always see yeah. Your partner is the reflection. Right, that's the hard part too. Yeah. And the same thing with practice. When you make a commitment oh. <laughs> to practice, all the craziness comes up. Mm -hmm. You have to work harder. Yeah. You have to really care about it. It becomes a priority of your attention, right. of your devotion. That's fun. Same thing. You have to be in relationship with your practice. Mm. Otherwise, you won't stick with it. Mm. You won't stick with it. Mm. And that's the thing, too. You can experiment a while, then pick one. Especially your meditation technique. Pick one, go deep. Mm. Pick one, go deep. If you keep changing, the whole idea is we want to make the mind calm and still. If we're changing our meditation technique in the very practice itself we're not making the mind calm and still mm. we're getting it involved in all different oh. things so our technique becomes counterproductive right. to the purpose mm -hmm. understand yeah so so when you're going through like like um, um, mantras you're saying your okay. mantras and then you're like like what you were saying yesterday <coughs> right mm -hmm. and then you get bored with it or you get stick with it. Mm. 
you stick with it. The image usually given is it's like digging a well. Mm -hmm. If you keep changing, it's like you dig 100 feet here, 50 feet there, 30 feet there. It's like you can dig thousands of feet, never reach water. Instead, you stay one place. Even if you have to blast through rock, you'll reach water. I got okay. Or you can picture it like climbing a mountain. There are many paths to the pinnacle. Stick to one path, you'll get there. Even if you have to walk through deserts and jungles, you'll get there. If you keep changing paths, you may wind up going around the mountain. <laughs> you may wind up going down the mountain, not realizing it, and wasting a lot of time not going up the mountain. But we'll get to the same pinnacle eventually. Mm -hmm. But you need a clear, clear journey. Okay? Next non-attachment. Someone read 15. I'll read it. I have it right here. The consciousness of the self-mastering in one who is free from craving, from obstacles seen or heard about is non-attachment. I'll read it again. The consciousness of the self-mastery in one who is free from craving for, op for op <coughs> op op objects seen or heard about is non-attachment. Okay, the key phrase here is free from craving. Because it's our cravings that really stir up and color the mental lake. And they're endless, like the old lady who swallowed the fly. That's why. They're coming the mail. They come through the mail, all these offers. Yeah, that's why. What is so? This was my big question. But what's the difference between that and non-thirst for even Lagunas? Number sixteen. Yeah. We'll get to that okay. Next. All right. I want to tell you. I was going to have you do a little role play exercise, but I don't think we're going to have time. And anyway, I think you understand the difference between attachment and non-attachment. When I've come to understand as a way to practice non-attachment realistically as human beings is this. Very often when you say non-attachment, people think about, well, then you're aloof, or you don't care about people, or you don't have things. And that's non-attachment. I'm not attached to my husband. I'm not attached to my children. I'm not attached to my work, which means I'll just do a, you know, a slipshod job because I'm not attached. I'm not attached to my things, so I won't take good care of them. Or I won't have things that I need because I'm not attached. This is not a realistic way to move through life. And it doesn't really embrace what non-attachment truly means. I have flipped it in my understanding. Instead of being a negative, to make it a positive. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying what it's not, saying what it is 
in a way that you can practice it so you can actually become not attached in the truest sense. And what this boils down to, to practice non-attachment means coming into right relationship on every level with people, with things, with work, with our bodies, with ideas, coming into right relationship. So how does that look? What do I mean? Non-attachment with the body. It doesn't mean you neglect it. You say, well, I'm not attached, you know. I'm the true self. I'm not attached to the body. So you neglect your health. That's not yoga. So, non-attachment to the body means coming into right relationship with the body. You don't neglect it. You don't overindulge it. You recognize that it is the vehicle through which you're moving through life. It's the temple of the divine in which you dwell. You give it its due in that regard. That's right relationship. So you're not clinging to it. You're not ignoring it. You're not rejecting it. You're not indulging it. You accept it for what it is. You treat it properly. You're not attached. You know it's come to serve a purpose, and at a certain time it'll go. Mm. So having this right relationship trains you to be non-attached to the body in the highest sense. With things, with possessions, non-attachment doesn't mean you don't have anything. You need things. You need shelter. You need clothes. And what... If you don't, you'll go outside, they'll arrest you. <laughs> or you'll catch pneumonia right. in the winter. Right. You need these things. You need food. Mm -hmm. You need to have transportation. You need money in some places. <laughs> you need. You need these things. So what is right relationship with respect to possessions? It means anything that is in your care, you're a good guardian of you treat properly, you take good care of. It's your steward, mm -hmm. it's been entrusted to you. If things come, you accept them without getting so excited, you lose your peace and balance. Mm -hmm. If those things go for whatever reason, you accept that without losing your peace and balance. So it's coming into right relationship and at the same time training you toward non-attachment. Mm -hmm. Everyone see? Mm -hmm. With people, you recognize no one is with you always. People come into our lives to share love so that you can learn lessons, so that we can purge karma. We treat them properly with respect and kindness we accept when they come we accept when life takes them away again the right relationship
relationship trains us toward non-attachment. With ideas. We've discussed this a little today. How, do you, how are you non-attached to your own ideas and passions about things? You have your ideas, your perspective, but you realize other people have their perspective. You accept there are different points of view. You stand up for your perspective, and you have the capacity to accept that others may have their perspective as well. A good image for this, think of a wheel with spokes coming out of the center. Everyone's at a different position on the periphery of the wheel. If you ask someone who's up here, based on their experience and role in life, how to get to the center, what will they say? If you ask someone here how to get to the center, what will they say? Go up. If you ask someone here, what will they say? And if you ask someone here, who's right, who's wrong? And not only that, in time, nothing stays still, the wheel turns. So the person who is here now finds themselves there. You ask them, how do you get to the center? What do they say? <laughs> What's the matter with you? A few weeks ago, you said, go south. <laughs> Don't you know what you're talking about? That's the way to come into right relationship with ideas and to realize your way doesn't have to prevail. One year, one election, our community was very disturbed. I don't remember which election it was, and we spoke to Gurudev. I don't know if this is going to be comforting or not about sharing, because people were very concerned about who would be elected. And he said, don't worry. A country gets the leader it deserves. Well, it's the collective consciousness of the Yes, the leader, what our national karma and yeah. trend. There's a lesson. And I tell you, when 9-11 happened, Gurudev came to our community that night. We had a big meeting because everyone, everywhere, mm -hmm. was so distraught. And when we were in Virginia, it was so interesting. Because that sunset, you know, there was the event in D.C., it was the most spectacular sunset I've ever seen in my life, probably because of all the excess particulate matter in the atmosphere. But it was like God was saying, this is what occurred to me, okay, humanity, I gave you this beautiful planet. If you want to kill yourselves, go ahead. I'm still going to make beautiful sunsets. <laughs> but anyway, we had this meeting. And Gurudev said, the first thing he said was, nothing happens outside the will of God. Not even, he said, the scriptures say, not even an atom can move without the will of God. 
So on the one hand, it was comforting. On the other hand, it was disturbing. And he said, if America was that innocent, that could never have happened. That America is the largest purveyor in the world of weapons. The money that circulates in our society carries the vibration of violence. Money has the vibration from the transaction from which it was obtained. Mm -hmm. And he told us America has a great price to pay. He had said that in prior years. And every year after that, the New York Times would run an article, an annual article, sales of arms to different countries throughout the world, how much every country earned through arms sales. U.S. exceeded oh, yeah. everyone else oh, yeah. by far, by far. And you see all the violence in the society. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is what I recall. So he said, this could never have happened. Mm -hmm. So it's all mm -hmm. the... Again, the cumulative collective consciousness. So what we shall see. Well, the good thing about San Francisco, there is no gun stores in San Francisco anymore. So good. Wow. You've done yeah. something good. Yeah. You've so done something good. This place is safe, baby. <laughs> You've done something good. I was thinking about um, that example with the wheel and the hub, too. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about how humility comes into play here. But I also think with that, I thought too with the wheel, there's also like an empathy that comes into play too. Because when you're at the top and you go, well, it's obviously down, like, right. what do you think? And then you're down and you go, oh, now I understand why they said it was up. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, now I can see that perspective. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. Like, it just seems like that just comes with experience too, some of it. Like, we have to go through these things and learn these lessons. It's like a child's experience with their parent, and then you grow up and you become a parent. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so true. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, so, right, true. relationship with respect to work. You do it as an offering. You do your best and leave the rest. There isn't this ego involvement. There isn't a desire for praise or you're doing it because it's your role to play and you do your best. It isn't like you say, well, I'm non-attached, so it doesn't matter. If you're truly non-attached, you do even a better job because you're doing it as an, as an offering on the altar of the universe. You're not doing it for your personal ego gratification. You're doing it for the benefit of others. And that's how it trains you, again, in renunciation, mm -hmm. in non-attachment. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like almost like that not caring, like that, like, well, it doesn't matter. That is ego, in yeah. a sense. Because you're yeah. like, I'm the only one that like yeah. this jacket matters to, so I yeah. can just treat it badly because yeah. it's my jacket. Yeah. And that not caring is like attachment with a negative on mm -hmm. it. Right. It's still attachment. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah, it's, it's really subtle. Yeah, it's really very subtle. subtle. So that's how I've come to 
understand non-attachment as something that really is relatable to the human condition and a way we can work toward really supreme non-attachment, supreme renunciation, but in a way that's grounded and authentic, grounded and authentic. The scriptures say that if someone's really renounced, everything comes to you because you're not clinging, you're not grasping. You're there as an instrument of the universal will. So what is needed to fulfill that, to happen through you, just comes. It just comes to you. They say the goddess Saraswati and the goddess Lakshmi sit at the feet, willing to do the behest of anyone who is truly renounced. The goddess Saraswati is all knowledge. Goddess Lakshmi, all knowledge. Wealth? Wealth. Whatever you need comes. The Bible puts it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto you. It's the same principle. I once went with Gurudev to Griffith's Observatory in Los Angeles. We were on a VIP tour. Some physicist was leading the tour. And as we went around, the physicist started talking about some huge cosmic event. And he was giving numbers. And this happens in so many years, like six-figure numbers. And this happens, and that happens, and this times that. So the tour took about maybe 40 minutes. And at the end of the tour, Gurudev tells him this huge number. And the physicist says, what's that? He said, well, that's the answer. Guy said, What do you mean that's the answer? Well, the process you were describing, that's the result of the calculation. Mm -hmm. And the guy looked at him, What are you talking about? And he said, That's the answer. So he sat down and he computed it. Sure enough, it was. Probably to impress upon this physicist, who was brilliant, that there was a way to know beyond mm -hmm. the scientific inquiry. The goddess Saraswati provided the answer to the calculation and blew him away. Blew him away. Okay. So that's not attachment. Bhagavad Gita talks about sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic non-attachment. This sort of relates to your question about leaving things in a way. Tamasic non-attachment is you don't do what you should do because of laziness, ignorance, or dullness. It's not good non-attachment. Rajasic non-attachment is when you avoid something because you think it's painful. Mm. That's not good non-attachment. Sattvic, pure non-attachment is when you do your duty in a situation, but not seeking the results for mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. That is an ego identification act that has an offering. Could you repeat tamasic non-attachment? You don't do it oh, okay. because of ignorance, laziness, dullness. Okay. Rajasic, you avoid it because it's painful. Sattvic, you do it, 
but as your duty without wanting the results for your own self-aggrandizement. Agenda. Sounds like Tamasic is almost out of the realm of consciousness. Yeah, you're not aware. Whereas Rajasic seems a little more like it's burning me, so I don't want to be burned. Gives more awareness to Kind of like how you have to get through Sapphic through Rajasic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the principles in mm-hmm. spiritual life. You start not knowing. Your goal is to know. To go from this dullness to true inaction. So you're dull here. This is interesting. You're not doing anything. Here you're enlightened. You're not doing anything. But to get from this not doing anything to that not doing anything, you have to go through a lot of doing. A lot of effort, a lot of practice. It seems like a paradox, but the path to stillness is through action. And tamasic and sattvic, if you don't know any better, can look similar. Right, oh, right, yeah. right. Whereas Rajasic yeah. looks very different. Mm-hmm. But Tamasic and Satwik are poles mm-hmm. apart. It's like a top that's totally still and a top that's spinning very fast. Both can appear still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But they're worlds apart. Right. <laughs> okay. everyone understand non-attachment? Mm-hmm. It's not something just reserved for advanced yeah. yogis or swamis. It's something we can all work on to be better people, kinder people, better citizens, mm-hmm. and to keep our peace. Because mm-hmm. life is like a river. It's always flowing. Things are going to mm-hmm. come and go. Mm-hmm. How do you keep your peace? Keep your peace by coming into right relationship with life's process. Okay, now, Kamala, mm-hmm. your question. So, um, 15 says non-attachment is freedom from clinging from things seen or heard about. Mm-hmm. And That's then, the, go ahead. And then 16, should I just read it? Go ahead. All right. When, uh, when there is non-thirst for even the gunas, the constituents of nature, due to the realization of the purusha, the true self, that is supreme non-attachment. I can read it again. When there is non-thirst for even the gunas, the constituents of nature, due to the realization of the purusha, the true self, that is supreme non-attachment. So my question is, what is the difference between this non-attachment and supreme non-attachment. Okay, it's the lower and higher hierarchy. Okay. Sutra 15 means desires may arise, but you're aware that you have the capacity not to act on them. Okay. In Sutra 16, the desires don't even even arise. arise. Okay. Because you're established in something so much greater. I'll give you a simple example. Who here can make a really good smoothie? Good shake. Okay, what do you put in it? Okay, good. 
Um, usually I soak a bunch of seeds overnight, like chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, nuts, and then I'll put it in my Vitamix with generally raw cacao, a fruit, a protein powder, maybe some almond butter. Okay. Wow. Anyone have another style smoothie? I want something that, or does everyone really like that? Mm. I like that. Pretty okay. good. Yeah. I'd love one of those right almond now. Almond milk? I prefer a very okay. simple dish. <laughs> okay, what would yours look like? I put kale. <laughs> <laughs> kale, beets, burdock, uh, ginger, turmeric, mm. uh, wow. garlic, and a whole half a lemon. Oh, so yours is the juice. It's That's a juice. Okay. It's not a smoothie. But yeah. it's That's okay. a mission for me. Okay, yeah. so we have two. Do we have something everyone likes on the table? <laughs> or does someone want to recommend something else? <laughs> Banana. Banana smoothie. Just bananas? Almonds, bananas almond milk and, almond and almond milk. banana. Yeah. Right. Mm. That, that, that's it. Okay, simple. <laughs> okay, so we have three smoothies here. So let's say we came to class, the three of you brought smoothies, and we all went, wow. And each one of us drank our fill. Okay? And we're all totally satisfied in smoothie heaven. And then Kamala comes late to class. And she <laughs> said, class, guess what I brought for everyone? I brought some lukewarm lime Kool-Aid for <laughs> everyone. <laughs> so my question is, do we have to exert any self-mastery not to drink the Kool-Aid? Mm. No. Do we no. have to exert any effort whatsoever? No, maybe a little. <laughs> we don't want her to After get hurt feelings, so we have to kind of say it. Nicely. Are you craving that Kool-Aid? No. no, not necessarily. Without no. the artificial sweetening of Encoros, right? Right. <laughs> Why aren't you craving it? Because we're satisfied with what you had. And what you had was so much better. Yeah. It's more natural. What this is saying is when you've realized the Purusha, the Supreme Self, you're filled with something so mm. terrific that lesser desires, even down to the level of the gunas, the tiniest constituents of nature, all of nature down to its tiniest constituent can no longer attract you because you've gone beyond nature to experience the spirit and are filled with that completely. Mm -hmm. It's like if you go outside at noon on a sunny day and someone comes to you and says, can I offer you this candle so you can read the book? <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> no, 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 thank you. It's not necessary. <gasps> the little desires that now give us happiness are like a little candle when we're standing in the midst of the noonday sun. Okay? So does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to tie it together with you. Can someone turn on the light? Good idea. Sounds really satisfying to my palate. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
constituent of nature? A constituent of nature. Mm -hmm. Nothing in nature, even oh, down to its most basic constituent, can yeah. attract you any longer. Thank you. Because you transcended nature and experienced something so much greater. Pleasure. So, in Book One, Patanjali told us that if we're not abiding in the self, the other option, it's like a Chinese menu, menu A, menu B, <laughs> is we're identifying as a modification. He doesn't tell us why that happens. In Book Two, he goes to a deeper level. <coughs> And he gives the glaciers. Glaciers are the underlying mechanism, the underlying dynamic that gives room for the vrittis. And it's the hardwiring of the mental computer that, that we come in with and keeps the experience of who we are in truth veiled from us. Okay? There are five glaciers. Basic afflictions of the mind. Avidya, which is ignorance. Asmita, egoism. Raga, attachment. Dresha, aversion. And Abhinivasha. clinging to bodily life. Avidya gives rise to all the rest. It's the field for all the rest. This is ignorance. This is primordial ignorance. This is ignorance of our true nature. Simply put, we are veiled from the knowledge of who we are in truth. The divine within us, the higher self, the spirit, the consciousness, the pure consciousness. We don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. And it gets worse. Not only don't we know who we are, but we think we're something else. Mm -hmm. This is egoism. What this means is, I don't know who I am, but everywhere I go, this shows up, this body <laughs> mind. So I come to the conclusion that's who I am. That's basically what? The mind-body complex. More importantly, the mind, but it's, the body is just the mind in condensed form. So I don't know who I am. This shows up wherever I go. So I conclude this is who I am. And once we think this body and mind is who we are, we become attached to everything that gives this body-mind complex pleasure. We become averse. to everything that gives us pain, and then we cling to bodily life.
because we think mm -hmm. this defines who we are, mm -hmm. and the memories of being wrenched out of an incarnate existence again and again and again are there in the deeper levels of our consciousness. We don't want to go through that pain again. Mm -hmm. So these are the clashes. So it's built into us that that false identification happens. The self seems to assume the form of the mental modification. This is what is built into the mental computer that makes that happen. Now I'm going to tie this to book one and Patanjali's basic psychology. Avidya, ignorance. Asmita is false identification. And because of the false identification, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinisha, these are all versions of attachment. Raga, positive attachment. Dvesha, negative attachment. Abhinibhisha, attachment to the body. Okay? How does Patanjali in Sutra 12 say to get rid of attachment? What does he say we need to do? Practice. Through practice, we gain the strength, clarity, and capacity to release our attachments. Okay? If you're attached to something that's not good for you, and your mind is still weak or clouded, you're not going to let it go. Mm -hmm. But when you practice, your mind becomes more clear and strong. Some things just drop away, and some things you have the courage and strength to release. Think of a car, the way a car works. In the engine, let's say you have a piston reaction, okay? And that energy gets transferred to the wheels, and the wheels turn and the car moves. So the engine is where it all begins, and then it expresses by the wheels turning and the cars move, car moving. So my question is, when you want to stop a car, where do you apply the brakes? Do you apply it on the engine? Or do you apply it on the wheels? Wheels. 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 You apply the brakes on the outer expression okay. of the motion. Avidya is like the engine of the car. Attachment is how it expresses. It's like the wheels moving. If you want to overcome avidya or ignorance, you apply the brakes on attachment. You work with the attachments. And the way to work with attachment is through practice. Yasa vairagyabhyam tan nirodaha. Through practice, you release your attachments, you attain nirodaha. Yogaha chitta vritti nirodaha. When you're established in Narodaha, the chitta vrittis, 
feast, you experience yoga. That's how it ties together in a nutshell. And I actually did it. <laughs> did you record all this? Um, the very end, and some of the one before, yes. This, I can this, send it to you if you want. Yeah, send it to me. The one trick is their server, it was a free app, won't save it. Once you open it, I'll send it to you after 24 hours. So you have to put it on a different um, platform to keep it. You have to just tape it yourself. Or put it in the computer. Or on your computer, right. Or you can download it, right. Google Drive. Google Drive or Dropbox, she's talking about, right? Right, but I can't send it on that. I haven't figured that one out yet. I don't use those anyway. Okay. And I don't know your email address. I tried to get it before the... Conference and I ended okay. up with the manager here and then Jeevana and I, I couldn't. Okay. So will you give me your email? So did you record the whole talk? Not the whole talk, but today I did a whole bunch of it since lunchtime. Okay. Okay. And right, so I can't send it to you until you give me your email address. I'll give That's it to one you thing. At the end. Okay. So we come to the end. Can I ask a question? I just realized um, something that in that idea of practice and non-attachment, I don't hear the true self. I guess after towards steadiness of the mind, so when we steady the mind, then we experience the true self. That, what's like thing 40, what's the purpose? Yeah, I guess just like, I just realized like in practice and non-attachment, like where is, where's the Purusha? Like it doesn't talk about the it's Purusha. It's connected through. But it's the Naroda, huh? Naroda. Okay. To attain, what it says is, to attain Narodaha, you need practice and non-attachment. Okay. And when you attain Narodaha, the shift of Rikki are attained. Okay, and then that's yoga. And then you experience yoga. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all this yeah. It's been Thank my pleasure. Mm. It's really been a delight. I had no idea we'd go this deep. <laughs> it's amazing. Any other questions? Thoughts, comments, answers? <laughs> I do, but it might it might be too complicated, but where are the genetics and things that are Inherited. How does that fit into? Oh, the good climate? question. Well, your karma designates that you should have certain capacities. So the genetics that match your karma will draw you to a certain family. It, it's all. It's all combined. It's all combined. question yeah. because they mm. say that we have that there's like um like I guess epigenetics which is we have genes for certain things but they may not express unless we are in an environment that allows those genes to appear right. so you may have a gene for some disease right you know but you may not get the disease right. but you may get the disease if you're in this environment right. so that's I see that the being the agony yeah your, your parabda 
brings certain potential, and then your agami gives you a way to work with it. Mm -hmm. To work with it. Oh, okay. This also ties with the epigenetics because you, you're working with the mind, and the mind affects the right. entire environment, yeah, the body, and the cells. Correct. So, so would the would agony be too like the like I'm still thinking about that? That's so interesting. Um, would agony be me taking action? That creates more karma. That yeah, it leads does. me to express this gene. Agony, you are creating more karma. Yeah. The only way not to create more karma is if you well, there, you have your identification either with the witness within, mm -hmm. and you do certain things, but your identification is here or you do it as an offering to the divine. Okay. But as long as it's your doing it, even if you're doing good things, mm -hmm. you're creating more karma. Mm -hmm. And how does that work for the next incarnation? Because it's good karma, so you're not having to learn. Well, it's still karma. And so you have, Patanjali says, if you do good things, pleasurable experiences will come. If you do bad things, painful experiences will come. Mm -hmm. But even if you've done good things, so you get a new birth and you have pleasurable experiences, there's still an opportunity you're going to do, you're going to mess up somewhere <laughs> and set the stage for some negative. Because everyone's life is, is, is black, white, and gray. Mm -hmm. You know, no one's life is all bad, no one's life is all good. But as long as we're on this wheel, of karma, reaction, desire, fulfillment, it's just going to go on and on and on and on and on. And you reach a point when even good things are not good enough. It's just more of the same coming and going. What about being born into a situation where you have wealth and it, it helps you? Does that mean that at some other point you did something so that you treated money with right relationship. Correct. Okay. Master Shivananda even says, if you're very generous in one <coughs> life, you will be wealthy in the next yes. life. Yeah. If you serve humanity in one life, you will be a great leader in another life. Your tendencies in one life become your capacities in another life. If you do virtuous deeds, you get good environments. So there's, there's an order, there's the balance in what happens. So what about like, I mean, animals? Do they have some kind of karmic? Are animals, if you see an animal that's just sort of like a normal animal, they're probably just naturally evolving in nature. Mm -hmm. If you see an animal in a very bad situation or a super pampered situation, likely case is it's a human being gone back 
to experience something mm. in an animal wow. world. And it isn't like you're devolving. You're still evolving, but you need those experiences. Like you see these poodles? <laughs> they're manicured, they're pedicures, and they're nail, and they're diamond necklaces. That's not a normal animal situation. And then you go and you see the primates at the zoo, and you see these animals in cages, and you look at the intelligence in their eyes, and you know they're doing prison time in an animal body, and that they know it. They're incarcerated. They've lost their freedom. What is the super pampered one learning? I don't know why. I don't know. Because I do, because I have two cats, and I can just, you know, I mean, I see them. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, and Henry, he's like, he pers personality, and you can tell if they're smiling at you, or they're talking to you, you have this full conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they're like, yeah. There's their consciousness. We had a cat, and it was named Bhuvaneshwari, named for the goddess that one of the family people earned. Every morning at 5 a.m., this cat would leave her home in the community, come to our meditation hall, Guru Bhavan, and sit outside and cry. Whenever Gurudev would give satsang on Saturday night, she'd come to the door of the hall outside and sit there and cry. Who is that cat? Wow. You ever let her in? No, she was a cat. <laughs> wow. How interesting. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Is there is there ever a situation where someone doesn't come back? Like they've learned all the lessons? Is that like when you reach enlightenment, it's like the cosmic consciousness decides whether it's you just that's it for you mm -hmm. or Sort of like professors coming back to the university to guide <laughs> others, whether you can be a good example mm -hmm. to guide others. So some are sent back as guides, and some, I don't know. It's like the people who are like saints at like six. What's that? It's like the people who are saints at like six. Saints, yeah, saints. when they're like four years old, and you're like, holy crap. But do they come back with karma, though? Like, if they come back... If they, it depends. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a complicated question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complicated mm. question. Swami Venkatesananda, who was Swami Satchidananda's mm. brother monk, he told us that Swami Satchidananda was a thrice-realized guru. Wow. He said this isn't his first birth as an enlightened master. Mm. It's oh. his third time around this so way. Become enlightened to come back. Yeah. Right. Maybe he can come back. Cool. I mean, at some point when you're enlightened, you see all of your past lives, right? You can. Yeah. Potentially, you can tell you how to do it. Interesting. But for most of us, <laughs> like, who would want that information? <laughs> all the terrible lives you oh, had, yeah. you know, all the good things, the bad things you did. You'll see all your relationships with all these people. That's going to destabilize how you function with them now. Yeah, but then you're not, it's not good or bad, it just is. If it happens naturally, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Natural. Huh. But if we seek it out, that's why the powers aren't good. Like, mm -hmm. if you seek them out with an ego, because you don't know what you're gonna get, what you're sticking your hands in. It's like right. you might not be ready to handle that information. 
We're, we're shielded, we're veiled for a good reason. Not because the higher power is, is stingy, you know, wanting to withhold things from us. But he didn't give a child uh, a chopping knife to right. play with. They don't have the capacity to handle it. Right. We don't have the capacity to handle these things. They look flashy. They look like fun. <laughs> right. Oh, but boy. they're not. Right. They're, you know, it's like the chopping knife, actually. It's shiny. It looks good. <laughs> <good. laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a new toy. Right. Yeah. But it's not. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. So it is very fascinating. Is there any training for... I'm sorry. Again. No, I was just going to say that gives me comfort because that I haven't achieved enlightenment or whatever because it just means I'm not ready. Like, I just need to keep doing my work. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm sorry. I have two questions. Do you lead the Raja training in Yogaville? Yep. Okay, I have three questions. Does that take place every year and when? Every other year. This year we're having meditation, and I'm also going to put together a pranayama TT after that mm-hmm. for about four days. And then next year is Raja? And then, I guess, 2018 mm-hmm. will be Raja. So it's every four? No. 2017 will be meditation and pranayama. Oh, so 2018 will be we is just there, did Raja this summer. Got it. Is there a yana yoga training mm-hmm. or anything to do with it? I feel like that's the one yeah, path where there's true. very little yeah. anything. Because I think the audience would be a very little small. less small. <laughs> very rarefied territory. You need to break that ground. I can, I'm I can tell. I'm curious about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, in meditation technique, Meditation TT, we talk about techniques based on yana yoga. Meditation techniques such as witnessing, self-inquiry, neti-neti. There are different techniques we discuss from the four perspectives. Raja, bhakti, yana, what am I missing? Chakra. Anyway, the different perspectives, meditation techniques that are, that go with it. There are four basic Approaches to meditation, witnessing, analysis, self-inquiry, focusing, or prayer. We discuss all of them, the philosophy behind them, and how to practice. Wow, that's so great. That's like a three-week program? Meditation TT, two weeks. That sounds dope. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) Good. We're having it in June this year. Next June? Yeah. Mm. And then at the end of that, four days for Pranayama. But you know, Swami Ramananda and Swami Divyananda are doing it here. Raja, next year. Uh, Meditation. Meditation. Oh, in the spring. And I plan on signing up. It's like a a Monday, Wednesday Wednesday night and and a Saturday Saturday morning. I'm going. Great. You too. I think so. Question: Sitra um, in subtle form, these obstacles can be destroyed by resolving them back into their primal cause. Mm-hmm. About it's about resolving yeah. the subtle obstacles back into the yeah. their primal cause, the ego. Um, what does that What does that mean? These are real complicated sutras. That <laughs> yeah, is that is that a in dealing with the clashes? 
And then it says in the active state they can be destroyed by meditation, which makes sense to me. Which means if the kleshas, if like your attachments and whatever, are in full swing, Mm. by meditating you can see them, Mm. you can understand them, you can decide not to let them translate into action. But when you meditate on these things, you can't destroy them because you bring them out, you bring them up. So what he's saying here, they can be destroyed, it's not exactly like that, Mm. by resolving them back into their primal cause. It's like, so through meditation you can decide not to put them into action. That's what it means in the active state, they can be destroyed by meditation. But also by meditation you can sort of trace them back and realize that the ego is the source of all this. Your individuality is the source of all this. But they truly get destroyed when you experience the highest samadhi. That's when they get destroyed. It just kind of means resolving them into their primal cause. It means tracing. Right, tracing them back. Finding the trail. Yeah, where they come from. And I'll show you just to complete, just so you see how the book works. At the end, someone read 29, book 3, book 4. I have it. 29. One who, due to his or her perfect discrimination, is totally disinterested even in the highest rewards, remains in the constant discriminative discernment, which is called Dharma Mega Samadhi, cloud of Dharma Samadhi. Read it again. So one who, due to his or her perfect discrimination, is totally disinterested even in the highest rewards, remains in the constant dis- in, in the constant discriminative discernment, which is called Dharma Mega. Okay, this Dharma Mega Samadhi, yeah. point out one thing here. He has perfect discrimination. This is the end result of practice. So in other words, they brought practice to the Mm -hmm. highest pinnacle. Mm -hmm. Is totally disinterested in even the highest rewards. And those include omnipotence and omniscience. So it's like perfect non-attachment. Perfect non-attachment. So you reach the goal Mm -hmm. of practice and non-attachment. Now read 30. Someone read 30? From that samadhi, all afflictions and karmas cease. Okay, so when you've reached the pinnacle of practice and non-attachment, the kleshas cease. Karma ceases. Okay, now... Is that the nirbija samadhi you're talking about? Wait, we're getting there. Oh, 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 okay, okay. We'll skip this, we'll skip this. Look at 32. Then then the gunas terminate their sequence of transformations because they have fulfilled their purpose. This means Prakriti has taught you all the lessons you need to learn. Okay? Then we'll go to 34. 
Thus, the supreme state of independence manifests, while the gunas reabsorb themselves into prakriti, having no more purpose to serve the purusha, or to look from another angle, the power of pure consciousness settles into its own pure nature. Does that sound like Sutra three in book one? When you attain yoga shitta vritti narodaha, then the seer self abides in its own nature. So when you reach the pinnacle of practice and non-attachment, you attain what is called Dharma Mega Samadhi. When you're in Dharma Mega Samadhi, the glaciers and karma cease. Prakriti or nature has fulfilled its purpose in you. You've been totally cleaned, strengthened, purified, and now your consciousness rests in itself. The self abides in its own pure nature. You become a Jivan Mukti, which means a living, liberated soul, or a living, liberated sage. So do these people still sit and meditate, or is it just like life just like meditation? If they're still samadhi. living, they're in the Sahaja Samadhi state. If you're integral yogis, which means you abide always in your true self. You have that unity experience. You see yourself in yourself and in everyone and everything. And you have the dual vision too. You can see the changing names and forms and interact with them skillfully. This same master, Shivananda, when he died, they found journals and journals and journals of him just writing his mantra over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So there was no sadhana chart. There was no, I mean, he was an enlightened master, but practice continued. Really? Wow. Sometimes they do things just to leave an example for us. Wow. Krishna says that in the Gita. He said, there's nothing for me to do. But if I stop doing, mm. people would use it as an excuse. <laughs> they would imitate yeah. me, and then that Do wouldn't nothing. be good. So mm. I act. Yeah. Set a good example. I set a good example. So did Gurudev meditate with you? Gur- Gurudev meditated all the time. Occasionally, like at satsang, we'd say, can we meditate with you? He said, what do you think we're doing now? <laughs> we're meditating. I'll tell you one of my most profound experiences with him. I was organizing our annual California retreat in Santa Barbara. And my mind was so busy with so many details, with hundreds of people. And I had to hand him a paper with some information. I just wanted to do it quickly and then rush and go do a million things. So I went to hand him the paper. And he was totally focused and present. Like the only thing in the world that mattered in that moment was receiving that paper from me. And it was like my mind was like a little gnat, you know, (laughs) and all of a sudden it went plunk. Hmm. His stillness and focus, meditation and action, 
totally, it, it just magnetized my mind. And that one transaction, I, I never forgot. It was a transformative moment. <laughs> the power of his meditation in daily life. One of the de definitions of yoga in the Bhagavad Gita, second chapter. He gives samatvam yoga uchate, equanimity is yoga. And one verse apart from that, two verses, one is verse 48, the other is verse 50. Yogaha karmasu kausalam, perfection in action is yoga. So, two definitions of yoga, the perfect peace and stillness, balance, equanimity. Equal definition, perfection in action. It's the same thing. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Like we were saying, you can't leave your meditation on the cushion. You have to bring it into mm -hmm. your daily life. Otherwise, it's not a real practice. Uh -huh. It's superficial. It's superficial. It's better than nothing. But it's not going to take you really deep. Okay. To be wow. continued. Maybe in time the universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. May the light of truth overcome all darkness. Victory, Victory to, to that light. light. Jai Shri Sadguru Maharaj Ki. Jai. Jai.